Well, Daily Mail readers will have been shocked to see the photographs of Prince Harry's wedding to the stunningly beautiful um, Meghan Markle a couple of weeks ago. Come on, surely you've seen that. Didn't you know about that? It's, it, it's here in black and white. Prince Harry and the actress Meghan Markle on their wedding day. I don't know how he does it. Do you? Perhaps there's no. I, I don't want you to answer that one. But if you're not a Daily Mail reader, you probably will not have realized that Harry and Meghan eloped, tied the knot in a $300 Las Vegas wedding. You're, you're looking stunned. <laughs> you see, they didn't want to endure another mind-numbing state wedding. But that wasn't the only surprise. The Guardian informed us that the former Chancellor, George Osborne, set up his own clothing range as a fashion designer. <laughs> now, we might ask, doesn't he earn enough from his six other jobs as an MP and a newspaper editor and an after-dinner speaker and a hedge fund advisor and so forth? Why does he need a, a seventh job? And then we hear from the Daily Telegraph that a polar bear is living on a Hebridean island. Having been forced to head south uh, after finding itself stranded on a melting sheet of ice that broke away from the Arctic ice cap. Incredible, you may say, but it was in the Daily Telegraph, so it must be true. Sorry, tongue firmly placed in cheek there. But then there was the Daily, the Daily Express. They ran a totally different kind of story. And it was a story of a pizza firm that is planning to introduce a new heated letterbox that will keep your food hot for up to 12 hours. So after a busy day in the factory or in the office, you can come home and your dinner is waiting for you. Not a bad idea, methinks. But before you order your new heated letterbox, you need to know that this item and all the items I've just mentioned, um, all covered in the media, were featured on, yes, you've probably guessed it, April Fool's Day. Now, all of those articles were meant to be very tongue-in-cheek. They were meant to be a little bit of fun. Uh, but what about all the other items in the media, in social media, which are not so light-hearted? These days we are hearing an awful lot about fake news. It's something that President Trump um, accuses CNN and New York Times of uh, every other day. And yet the irony of that is that there is no greater proponent of fake news in the world, I don't think, than the man himself. What is fake news? Fake news is the deliberate spread of misinformation through print, Broadcasting or social media with the intent to mislead in order to gain financially or politically. And there was one item on Facebook last year which uh, gives you a perfect example of this. Where it says, Pope Francis shocks world and endorses Donald Trump as president. Eventually that was shown to be fake news. Obviously. Well, maybe it wasn't so obvious to everybody because it was liked and shared and commented on 961,000 times before it was taken down as fake news. Another item that was shared was this. ISIS leader calls for American Muslim voters to support Hillary Clinton. 
Now, I'm really sure that that must have helped her campaign loads. A word which is often associated with fake news is this. Post-truth. And post-truth, this is where objective facts are viewed as being less influential than appeals to emotion and personal belief in shaping public opinion. Now think no further than last year, uh, the European referendum, the American presidential election. Think of all the scaremongering that went on around those. And there was an appeal to our emotions. But I would say probably the objective facts were all a little bit lightweight. Now it was those two uh, events that I mentioned uh, that caused this word post-truth to increase by 2,000% between 2015 and 2016 on the internet. Isn't that incredible? 2,000% increase in one year because of those two events. And it was the English uh, Oxford Dictionaries. It was the international word of the year, post-truth. Roll on drums, please. Now, with all of this going on, Perhaps we have become an awful lot more cynical about what we read in the press. Perhaps we've become a bit more cautious about what we like or comment upon or share on our Facebook pages. So if we have all become a little bit more sceptical, what do we make of the events that were reported 2,000 years ago about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it good news or is it fake news? Does it really matter? Well, firstly, I believe that it does matter. And I would say that nothing actually matters more than this, this one historical event, which is at the heart of Christianity. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then we are all wasting our time here this morning. We are wasting our time baptizing the seven people. Without the resurrection of Christ, Christianity uh, is nothing more than a human philosophy. It's nothing more than just religious speculation. A little while ago, I was uh, asked by uh, a friend if it could be proved, he said, beyond any shadow of a doubt that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Would you walk away from Christianity? That was a good question. That was a really good question. And my answer to him was that I have no doubt whatsoever in the resurrection of Jesus as, as being historically true. But I went with him and I said, hypothetically speaking, to answer your question, if it could be proved beyond any shadow of doubt that Jesus did not rise from the dead, yes, I would walk away from the Christian faith. You see, I'm happy to confess that all my eggs are in one basket. For me... And for most Christians, everything stands or falls on Easter Sunday. No resurrection, no Christianity. It's as simple as that. But I threw the question back to my friend. And I said, tell me, if it could be proved to you a satisfaction that Christ did rise from the dead, showing himself to be God, would you become a Christian? <laughs> I didn't get an answer. If there's no resurrection then there is no point to the Christian faith. As Jesus, who claimed to be God, he would still be in a tomb somewhere in the Middle East. And the stakes are high here. Jesus either rose from the dead 
as he said he would, proving himself to be the Son of God and the Savior of the world, or he didn't rise from the dead, proving himself to be at best deluded and at worst a deceiver. So, why do I believe in the resurrection of Jesus? How long have you got? (laughs) In fact... Probably as you came in this morning, you were given one of these uh, uh, newsletters. In our newsletter this month, um, please pick one up if you've not got one on the way out and take it home. And I've, uh, on the inside pages, I've written on some of my reasons of why I believe that the resurrection of Jesus is true. And if you want to discuss that further with me, send me an email and we'll meet up for a coffee. But since we only have a few minutes this morning, I want to reduce my answer to that question to one word. And it is this word, eyewitnesses. You see, eyewitnesses are critical in court cases. The more eyewitnesses you have of an event, the greater the confidence that you can have over a judgment. And there were many, many, many eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. And their words have been written down for us in historical documents that we can read today. For example, Matthew who was a former tax collector who became one of the followers of Jesus, he wrote that Jesus rose from the dead and he saw him with his own eyes. Then there was Luke. Now Luke was a medical doctor. He interviewed many eyewitnesses. And Luke came to the same conclusion, that Jesus had risen from the dead. In fact, he was so convinced of the evidence that he gave up his medical practice and he became a church planter. Mark was a friend of the Apostle Peter. You know, the guy who denied Jesus three times. And based on Peter's account, he also believed and wrote the gospel, which means the good news of Mark. Then there was Saul. Saul was from a place called Tarsus, a city in Turkey. He was a Jewish religious zealot, probably as fanatical as any Islamic fundamentalist today. In fact, he went to other cities to hound out those who called themselves Christians because he wanted to wipe Christianity from the face of the earth. He wanted no one to mention the name of Christ again. But something changed in him. And today it's been great listening to stories where something has changed in the lives of the people who have shared their stories today. But something changed in Paul's life. On one of his murder missions, he had an encounter with the risen Jesus. And it changed everything for him. He even changed his name from Saul, which was a Hebrew name, into Paul, which was, a, which was a, a Latin name. He became passionate for spreading this message wherever he possibly could throughout the Roman Empire that Jesus had risen from the dead. And after 20 or so years of, after his amazing encounter with the risen Jesus, he wrote to a church in the southern part of Greece. And it was a church that he had founded a few years before that. And he reminded them of the reason that he believed in the resurrection of Jesus. You see, people were going around those church and saying then, much what many people say today, that once you're dead, you're dead. Basically, that's what some people were saying. And he said, no, that's not so. Let me tell you about Jesus. I'm just going to put a few verses up on screen from this book, which is 1 Corinthians. It's found in our New Testament. And and Paul writes these words. And he says, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, 
of the good news. Good news, not fake news, by the way. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Let's just for a few moments, just look at some of these eyewitnesses. First of all, he was seen by Peter. This is an amazing story in itself. Peter was the guy who denied Jesus three times. He was a coward. He ran away fearing for his life. What changed this man from a coward into being someone who was an utterly fearless leader of the New Testament church? I think it was because he saw the risen Jesus. That's what changed him. He eventually became a martyr for Christ. He too, like Jesus, was crucified. But he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus and he asked that he should be crucified upside down. That's what the history books tell us. And then there was the twelve. Well, this is a collective term for the disciples that Jesus had. Obviously, Judas was no longer with them because he had committed suicide and his place was taken by someone else. But again, we need to ask the question, what turned this rabble of no-hopers who, who scattered in fear of their own lives when Jesus was crucified into pillars of that early church? I would suggest, again, it's the resurrection of Jesus. Paul goes on and he says that Jesus was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Imagine a defence barrister having 500 eyewitnesses in a court case. Eyewitnesses who were even willing to make the greatest sacrifice in laying down their lives for what they had witnessed. I think that would convince probably... Any jury in the world. Many people today are prepared to die for what they believe to be true. That's why we have suicide bombers. They believe that they have the truth and that they, are, in doing what they're doing, are somehow pleasing Allah. And that he will somehow reward them for being martyrs. Now all decent-minded people and all decent-minded Muslims are right to think of such views as an abomination. But even so, there is a kind of depraved logic behind it. You see, many people are willing to die for what they perceive to be the truth. But no one, no one, no one on earth in their right minds would ever be willing to die for something that they knew to be a lie. There is no way that these early Christians would have been prepared to testify that they had seen the risen Jesus if Jesus had not risen, knowing that the fact of sharing that message would mean that they would suffer and many of them would be martyred for their faith. And then he was seen by James. Now James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. He was an unbeliever in New Testament times and then something changed because after the resurrection he was a believer. Any ideas what that might have been? And this James became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Changed from an unbeliever to a believer. Because he'd seen his brother 
Jesus risen from the dead. And then Paul says, I also saw him, for I am the least of the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted the church. Paul looks at himself. He was an arch persecutor. And then one day, surprise, surprise. And I think that some of the stories that you've heard today, they were not necessarily looking for God. And God sort of, as he does, he sort of creeps up on us sometimes in ways that we least expect. And that's what happened with Paul. He was certainly not expecting this. An encounter that changed the rest of his life. And he was turned from a persecutor of Christians into someone who was a missionary. A former Lord Chief Justice of England, Lord Darling, once said of the resurrection, these words, In its favour, as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world would fail to bring a verdict that the resurrection story is true. And this morning we have heard seven stories from different people, from different ages, different backgrounds, and yet they all speak of the reality of God in their lives. Now, they may not be eyewitnesses in the sense that those early Christians were eyewitnesses, but they are most certainly witnesses of what God has done in their lives, the reality of God, that God has given them forgiveness and a new start, and that they have a new power in their lives to live lives which are honouring to God, and that they are witnesses to a new hope that they have for the future. You see, if Jesus has not risen then they are all deluded. And all the stuff that they've come out with this morning is an absolute load of nonsense. Don't listen to a word they're saying if Jesus is not risen from the dead. But if Jesus has risen from the dead, it changes everything. It means that Jesus was who he claimed to be. That Jesus was God's son and saviour of the world. It means that Jesus can be trusted with our lives and everything that he has said about this life and the next life can be trusted. It means that if, if Jesus is risen from the dead, it means that he is still alive. And he is with us by his spirit, the spirit who empowers us to live lives now, which are extraordinary. And it means that death has been defeated. For all those who put their trust in him. I'm finishing. I know what I'm like, I can go on. But I won't. Let me leave this with you. What do you see in all of this? Is it a hoax or is it history? Make believe or miracle? Fiction or fact? Fake news or good news? The choice is yours. Thank you.